Hello, college football fans. Welcome to episode 125 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, college football fans and Husker fans. Hello, everybody. It's been a couple months since our last podcast. We've been busy here over these summer months, uh, but we are back to discuss the results of the Nebraska spring game and, of course, the recent conference realignment shakeup that has all of college football talking. There you go. That's right. Yep. It's crazy how that keeps coming up every now and then. (laughs) Sure does. It's like in a cycle. But before we dive into all of that, uh, we're going to stick to our tradition and open up a beverage that each of us have. Uh, Today, I have a Kona Brewing Company Longboard Island Lager. Wow. That is a heck of a beer, Alex. Uh, I remember drinking those. And you discovered those when you were over in uh, Hawaii this last winter. That's right. Awesome. That is a good beer. That's very, very nice. I'm I'm not going to be quite as as cool as you today. I, I'm going with the uh, the traditional uh, Miller Lite beverage because I'm trying to do a little low key this evening. So. <laughs> Fourth of July took a toll on you. It did. It was a fabulous holiday weekend, but my bladder uh, light is on. So. <laughs> All right. Fair Here enough. we go. You ready? Yep. All right. All right. There it is. Okay. So as I said at the start, um, we'll be talking about the spring game for Nebraska. First things first, and we'll get into the national discussions later. Uh, I know that we're a bit uh, delayed on this, um, but uh, we'll go off what we remember from the game and some of the the takeaways going into the upcoming season, which, as you mentioned before, our podcast is only about two months away now. Right. It's like 52 days or so uh, to the uh, to the game over in Ireland, which which your mother and I will be in attendance to. That's and I've invited you, but uh, <laughs> you're declining. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I I know I'll get crap for that. But yes, you will. <laughs> but we're going to have a great time regardless. So, yes. Yeah. Trying to I'm trying to save a little money up for my own international travels maybe next year. There you go. I get it. Yeah. Um, but talking about that spring game, um, it actually had an interesting uh, rule set. Um, and I saw that a couple other schools did something similar this year. So I don't know if it's becoming more common or not. Um, but it was basically rather than having a, you know, two offenses and two defenses, one of which is the, you know, kind of first team offense and defense, and one of which is the second team offense and defense. Uh, we had it so the offense uh, was always out, you know, and the offense was always out and playing. It was the same general offense. And then the same defense was always out, but the defense had a way to score points by doing various things. Uh, for example, an interception was six points, a three and out was two points, a sack was two points, a fourth down stop was two points, stopping the offense before the 50 yard line was one point. So just kind of played back and forth in that kind of way. Uh, and the offense got a point for uh, converting a fourth down. So it's kind of this interesting, different structure to things. Right. It, uh, and a lot of schools go to this now uh, just based on the fact that, uh, you know, the, the number of players that are out injured, um, the limitation on roster sizes, when you, when you figure that 
you know, you've, you've lost your seniors, right. That have graduated or whatever, moved on. And now with portal issues of people designated themselves for the portal, that's removed some other depth. So all of a sudden, a lot of times you just don't have enough players, uh, particularly in certain spots to where you could have a legitimate, you know, uh, game. And so a lot of schools choose not to do that. And they, they feel like they're going to get more focus if they can um, do something uh, structured like this. Yeah, that obviously makes sense for teams to do. And for us in particular, I know we did have several uh, players who were out injured or we just, you know, weren't willing to risk it, you know, since it was just a spring game. Um, So it made sense for us this year. Yes, I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. Um, And it's, it's fine. Uh, I mean, I prefer watching, you know, a, the, a traditional game structure. And um, you, usually with Nebraska's walk-ons, we have enough players that, um, you know, we could have done that. And we really did have enough players, uh, except in one or two spots we had a, a rash of injuries in, in some specific areas that caused, I think, the coaching staff to say, you know what, we just can't field a, a legitimate team, all 22 positions. Right. And we also played it where the first half was just uh, touch football and the second half was full tackle football, obviously, except for the quarterbacks who were still touch. Right. Well, and and um, for the most part, the second half was the the lower guys on the depth chart. The, the first team guys didn't stick around much in that second. No. half. Yep. Well, and it, it got a got good attendance, even though we've had you know such crap teams for the past few years. There were fifty thousand plus in the stadium that day. Uh, nice, nice day as well, which helped, I think. Um, it, it was, yep. But those who came hoping to see uh, our new quarterback Casey Thompson get to show his stuff, I think, left disappointed because he only threw four passes in the whole game. Right. Well, and I think in general, even even. Purdy uh, didn't didn't get a show much either. So, so yeah. If anybody was hoping that they would get some clarity and and see separation or anything, we're, we're just wasn't going to happen. Not with the way that was structured. Honestly, yeah, there wasn't. I didn't feel like there was a lot to take away because it was clear that like we weren't, uh, you know, kind of showing off our full offensive capabilities, which obviously were learning a new offense with a new offensive coordinator. So probably the guys uh, don't know everything to that capacity yet. Um, But uh, what did kind of surprise me was that I had heard kind of rumblings that the, you know, the offense was expected to win the game in terms of overall points, right? And the defense was kind of being poo-pooed and we'd heard, you know, that they hadn't done so well in the practice, uh, but in the actual game, uh, especially once the two, the touch football rules went away and they were allowed to fully tackle, I thought the defense played quite well. I would agree that there were there were indications that that maybe uh, you know we still have some desperate needs, areas of need that uh, you know hopefully some of the portal pickups that we've had and things of that nature are going to help us address. Uh, but but uh, I would agree with you that I can see individual players within the defense that when you start honing in on the top 22 uh, of, of the defense and the top 22 of the offense, you're going to begin to to see, okay, yeah, we have some decent depth here. We can be a good football team. 
we're not going to be a great football team, but we have the makings of a good football team. The, the, the big question about all of this is, and the whole spring process, uh, spring practice process is, can this new coaching staff come together, be cohesive enough, and get us to where we execute at a high level and don't self-destruct, which has been, frankly, uh, um, his biggest problem, Scott Frost's biggest problem since he became our coach. Yeah, that is the real key to Scott turning this team around is just getting that consistency in effort from the from the players and, you know, improving the overall play calling, you know, and just getting everybody executing at a reasonably consistent level. You know, obviously not everybody's going to be playing at their top tier all the time, uh, but you just got to get close to that, you know, game in, game out. Right. Well, and you can't make mistakes, right? You can't, you can't have the dumb penalties. You can't have the missed assignments that are real obvious that cause your quarterback to get killed, you know, back there because of, of a whiff or a misassignment, a missed assignment on the offensive line. You know, those kinds of things you can't do. You can't have a punter who punts directly to uh, a guy when the coverage is calling for the other side of the field when you have a lead late in the game, right? I mean, these are these are really fundamental but basic things, and it's the, the, we've we've lost games almost unimaginably with those kinds of uh, poor execution. That's true. Uh, speaking of special teams, that was an area I was watching for during the spring game, and even though you know there was only one side on offense the whole time, we did still have the punt team come out and things like that. Um, for what I recall, it was a mixed bag. Like I remember, I think I remember there was one, at least one punt that was like really bad, but then there was one that was like really good, like a, you know, 60 yard punt or something. And it made everybody in the crowd clap to see that. Um, is my memory correct there? I think it is. Yeah. I, I saw nothing uh, from our specialist that would lead me to believe that we're going to be remarkable in the special teams area this year. Uh, just you can't just magically clip, uh, snap your fingers, uh, clip your heels, whatever, and have it go that route. It's it sure seems like we remain an inconsistent punting and kickoff special teams, uh, field goals, you know, all that uh, inconsistent. Where I think we should, and, and uh, what I want to say, where I think we should see immediate results and didn't get to see them in the spring game is in the coverage teams, right? Because now we have a coach who's devoted to that activity and we should see far better execution on kickoff coverage, punt coverage, you know, kickoff return, um, punt return, that sort of thing. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, And to your point from earlier, you know, we don't need to be remarkable on special teams. We just need to be consistent, you know, and like you say, not have uh, a punter shank a punt, you know, a really critical point in the game or yeah, miss a easy 25 yard, 30 yard field goal. You know, that's really what we want. Exactly. Exactly. We've got to, we've got to be able to have reliability there. Mm -hmm. Um, and the actual final score of the game ended up being uh, 43 for the white team, 39 for the red, red being the offensive side of the ball. And it was actually a late uh, interception, which got the white team that last six points that ended up winning them the game. So the defense won. Uh, 
which was, you know, it was exciting from that perspective in that, you know, they both kind of went back and forth in the points. Like I said, I think right. the, the defense performed better than some people had expected. Um, but not a lot to take away from it because the starters played so little uh, and that we had, you know, all these different injuries, you know, that kept some people from playing at all. Yes, exactly. We had, we, you know, we, we hold people out due to injury very quickly, right? If somebody has a, what would be considered a minor injury, uh, you know, it seems like we hold them out of spring because it's just not worth it. If a, if a guy isn't ready to go 100%, then you just hold them out, right? So I think there is a tendency for not just Nebraska's coaching staff, I think in general, coaching staffs tend to do that a lot more than they used to. Um, and again, it's because everybody's always so darn concerned about their depth with all the different rules that are in place. Uh, when you're not a, a great team, then depth is an issue. Right. Different from back in Tom Osborne's day when you had 30 more scholarships or whatever it was. Right, right. We had more scholarship players. We had more walk-ons as well. And uh, our depth was just so much better that, uh, you know, he was he was more inclined to say, you know what? we play football. Let's go play football and, uh, and let the chips fall where they may. And did we lose a player every now and then? Yes. But it also made the game very entertaining and, 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 and a real showcase to show off the future talent, right? The young guys who were starting to emerge. Right. Um, and which is a good thing to show off to recruits, you know, cause we, we had some recruits at this spring game and all that stuff as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, so the environment that we still can create still puts us in the upper echelon um, for a recruiting visit during spring. But the overall results of spring, uh, both because of the lockdown and information, you know, which didn't used to be, but it is the way it is now. You know, that's something that I, uh, if Scott remains our coach and, and we do successfully turn this thing around this year and he remains our coach, I hope he opens up his mind to the idea that he needs to open up practices. He needs to uh, provide more access for, for reporters and things so that even though you run the risk of, you know, it getting out that so-and-so got injured in practice or whatever, which is obviously, you know, valuable information for the opponent. um, I, I feel like at least in the past, there could be a meeting of the minds where you get together with all the media folks that you're letting into practice and you say, Hey, here's the deal. I'd, I'd love for you guys to see practice and to be able to report on how things are going. What you can't do is start divulging things that you know are going to hurt the program. And you can spell out pretty clearly what those things are. Right. Uh, and um, there was kind of a, um, I don't, it was never written. So let's call it an unwritten set of rules that, uh, you know, back when there, before the internet, there were only a limited number of media folks. All of those people that were in that room understood what those rules were. Right. And they didn't, they didn't breach it very often. Or if they did, then Tom Osborne would choke them off a little bit in terms of information flow. And that's how they kept the balance. Now you, you can't do that. Right. It's really hard. And, uh, but as a result, ironically, we have more people in the media covering sports and we have worse coverage because the coaching staff can't trust anybody. So they shut everybody out. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, I was kind of thinking like if Scott's whole philosophy has been this whole kind of lockdown of information, you know, so the other team doesn't find out or whatever. Uh, it doesn't seem to help because <laughs> we still lose. <laughs> That's true. I agree. I agree. You're, you're right about that. The results suggest it's not that important. <laughs> right. So yeah, maybe a little more openness couldn't hurt. Right. Um, any final thoughts on the spring game? You know, uh, Alex, just to o- overall insight, I, I, I feel like, um, you know, I, I've said this in bits and pieces, but but the bottom line is I, I think spring practices has, have lost a lot of the value that they used to have. And now uh, between all the new rules about how many days you have to go before you can put on pads and the limitations on contact and all that, and then, uh, you know, uh, the, the limited uh, number of scholarship players that are available in the spring – it just makes it very difficult for you to make the kind of progress that spring used to represent for not just Nebraska, but for the sport in general. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I really think that, you know, uh, because of some of the other things that we'll be talking about on this podcast uh, and changes that are going on in the landscape, maybe there'll be an opportunity for some of these rules to be revisited, you know, and, and I'm, hopefully open up the door for uh, a little bit of a return to, Hey, let's focus on helping the student athlete improve in their sport uh, the way that we want them to, and to provide them the opportunity to be coached as opposed to being so freaked out about the amount of time and contact that the coaches have that, that the players end up doing informal workouts and informal stuff where they don't get coaching. Right. Right. And, and that inevitably leads to, in my opinion, injuries, uh, you know, misuse of equipment, uh, you name it, and, and just bad habit-forming uh, situations where if you had coaches present, maybe that stuff would be diminished a little bit more. So I, I just feel like there's a philosophical shift that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be interesting to see if, you know, it kind of went the other way because it definitely has been going uh, – the way you've been saying of kind of limiting this X and Y and Z for many years now. All right. So now we're going to get into the uh, main topic for this particular podcast, which is of course uh, the conference realignment that's going on. Uh, Just last week you were texting me about this uh, breaking reported uh, news story uh, from some reporter on Twitter that USC and UCLA were looking to leave the Pac-12 and join the Big Ten. And sure enough, within 24 hours, boom, it was reality. Uh, it happened awfully fast. Obviously, we know that there were behind-the-scenes discussions for quite a while before this. They must have been negotiating stuff in the background, but kind of like the Texas-Oklahoma switch to the SEC from last year, it really happened kind of out of the blue. And now everybody's scrambling again. I've been seeing a lot of different headlines, you know, and always have to take them with a grain of salt because, you know, who knows what's real right now. Um, But I think it had said something that like uh, Stanford and Washington and maybe Oregon had like reached out to the Big Ten about potentially joining. And the Big Ten said, not right now. Well, we're waiting on Notre Dame. That like Notre Dame is the next thing they want before they expand further when i was looking at the list of the uh acc schools um 
because they're also uh, kind of in a weaker position compared to the Big Ten and the SEC. And the, and the three that really stand out are Clemson, for obvious reasons, uh, Florida State, and Miami, because of the Florida market that they uh, control. And they do, both schools have quite a bit of history, obviously, as well. Um, or were there any others that stick out to you? Well, you know, the, the uh, Duke and North Carolina. Right. The, again, I think, I think Duke is, you know, one of the premier academic institutions in the country. North Carolina is, is an AAU school, again, from an academic uh, standpoint, good research institution. Um, so I could see four or five of the ACC schools being a good fit for basically a national conference now called the Big Ten. Right. right. Uh, but I also see the SEC, uh, which tends to still be mostly a regional southern conference, uh, being very appealing to those those same schools. Right. For from a travel standpoint, from a convenience factor for not just football, but all their other non football sports. Right. The 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 travel aspect is uh, much easier to deal with. Right. So, um, and also with Duke, you get a, a very powerful uh, college basketball school, and North Carolina. Exactly. Exactly. Both of those schools were in the Final Four. Uh, so um, that is um, that would be a big win for any any conference that got them. I think, and that's where uh, I think we're either going to stay pat at sixteen and hang on to this Notre Dame fantasy that we have apparently that we really, really want them and I get it. But as long as they can get close to the money, uh, by a combination of, of their relationship with the ACC and, and whatever revenues that brings in, plus a combination of, uh, their own dollars that they get for the exclusive home games that they get through NBC. And then they continue to get special treatment when, when we talk about college football playoff. Right. Right. Uh, there were special Notre Dame rules for the CFP. Well, um, I mean, as long as that exists, why would I? Why would I give up my independence? Right, and they've held on to it for a long time, even when the Big Ten has asked them multiple times in the past. Right. Well, uh, understand that there's some there's some history that goes way way back where Notre Dame wanted to be in the Big Ten, asked to be in the Big Ten, and was de- declined was rejected. Mm. And, and so there is some, there's some maybe latent built in, you know, angst about that from, you know, a hundred years ago. All right. (laughs) When, uh, when they were, uh, when the shoe was on the other foot and the, the big 10 said no. Um, so there's a little bit of that too, in terms of just pride, uh, institutional pride, arrogance, whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, going on as well. And then uh, with the Big Ten, uh, or I'm sorry, the Big 12, uh, who was an interesting player in all this, because back when the uh, Oklahoma-Texas deal was announced, we talked at the time about, you know, will the Big 12 uh, survive in the long term and all that sort of stuff? And we were both a little doubtful about that. Uh, But now it seems like they have been talking with several uh, Pac-12 mm-hmm. schools, including Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, uh, Utah, I believe, um, and they might 
uh, absorb some of those schools. So it seems like the Pac-12 might be the first of the remaining Power Five that uh, implodes on itself, not the Big 12. Right. But now the Pac-12 is also entering into some alliance talks with the ACC as well. So there's all these different conferences. Uh, uh, they are they are in conversations with each other, but individual schools are also trying to land in the best possible place they can. The reality is a, a, a Big 12 merger with some of the Pac-12 schools, and specifically the ones you just mentioned, the Colorado and Utah and all those, that's nice, and it and it and it certainly sustains their existence, but it doesn't get them close to the money that the SEC is going to get, or the Big Ten is going to get on a per school basis, right? So they're going to be at a massive economic disadvantage, you know, in in the long term future, as long as you're a part of one of those conferences and not a part of the Big Ten or the SEC. So then. You know, it becomes a question for, say, a Colorado, who is an who is a school that might be enticing to the Big Ten. Mm -hmm. You know, if they went to twenty four teams, let's say Colorado would be in that mix. So before Colorado says yes right away to the Big Twelve again, right? Remember they left the Big Twelve, right? Uh, um, um, it would be maybe they would be remiss to not have some serious conversation with the Big Ten first. Yeah, Does that, that makes sense. And I feel like every school has their unique set of circumstances on when they would be comfortable pulling the trigger and saying yes to join joining a conference other than the Big Ten or the SEC. Those are to me are slam dunks. If you're invited to join the SEC, the answer is yes. If you're in invited to join the Big Ten, the answer is yes. Right. Yeah, it's kind of funny because, yeah, Colorado left the Big 12 around the time that we did as Nebraska. Right. Uh, In fact, they left a, 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 They left before we did. They actually announced their departure before we did. Right. Even though we were the ones that, that uh, you know, it, uh, it was all the conversation that we were having with the Big 10 that was uh, get, creating the national buzz. But Colorado actually formally went to the Pac-12 before we did right before we left to go to the big 10 <laughs> right so to your point it might you know going back to that thing we just talked about with notre dame and this is much more recent history it might sting their pride a bit to come kind of with their hat in their hands saying big 12 will you let us back in kind of thing right i, I would think there's a little bit of that uh although you know i i don't think they're deep rooted enough in the pac 12 for that to be you know too hard to do right right but um but i'm more curious about what the what the Big Ten's uh, media partners are telling them. Uh, that's the conversation that's most important to what ultimately is going to be decided by the Big Ten. Mm -hmm. And frankly, uh, Notre Dame's conversation with their media partners is also very, very critical. Because I think if Notre Dame was to be convinced that they are going to be significantly behind the Big Ten money and the SEC money, then they would be more inclined to say yes. But if they're going to be close to that money as an individual institution, why would they why would they hitch their wagon to anybody else? Especially if they know they're still going to have the Notre Dame rules for the college football playoff, whatever it might be. Right. Um. So, uh, but now if they start started to get the feel or the winds that hey, the Big Ten and the SEC 
uh, are just tired of dealing with this independent Notre Dame. And so, hey, you want to stay independent? Fine, but we're not giving you any special arrangements. When the college football playoff thing discussion comes back around, the two big boys here, we're going to make a decision on our own here, and you're going to like it or or you're going to join one of us. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we can force your hand a little bit. I don't know if they'll play that hardball, but um, um, you know, it's it's certainly in the mix. Right, it's a possibility for sure. Uh, yeah, we haven't really talked too much about the actual initial uh, event of USC and UCLA coming into the Big Ten. Uh, they'll be officially part starting in 2023. Um, so no, what 2024? Oh, was it 2024? Yeah, it's 2024, and then uh, ironically. Texas and and OU, which was announced, you know what, six eight months ago, um, is um, going to start in 2025. So we actually are going to have our expansion partners join us before Oklahoma and uh, Texas join the SEC. Though I think which I find ironic. It is ironic. Though I think I saw a headline that they're looking to accelerate their initial plans to do 2024. Yes. Um right. So it'll probably end up being about the same timing. Right. Um but yeah, obviously it seems like it was probably like kind of a package deal, you know, cuz USC is the real crown jewel and UCLA isn't as uh, prestigious from a sports perspective, but you know, they're still solid. Um and the fact that we're getting both, which is covering this whole L.A. market area, obviously, I'm kind of excited because it's where I'm currently living. And so we'll get some uh, hopefully some Nebraska games out here in L.A., which would be very cool. Um, but, yeah, it's a definitely, a, I think, a deft move by the Big Ten and the commissioner um, as a response to what the SEC did, you know, I still think the SEC's win is bigger because obviously Texas and Oklahoma as a duo has more power kind of behind them than USC, UCLA, I would say. Uh, But of what was available out there, that was one of the best they could have gotten, I would say. Absolutely. I mean, uh, besides Notre Dame, USC was the next best thing to go after, for sure. And so, yeah, the reason... It's it was such an obvious choice. If if USC and UCLA were interested and were willing to sever their whatever ninety plus year tie to being with the Pac twelve, right? <laughs> and all of those schools that they've been playing regularly every year forever. Um, if they were willing to sever those ties, then come on and join the party. They're the ones that are gonna be having to deal with the flights and the, the distance and all that. It would seem to me that I would have thought USC would have wanted to try to get at least two more uh, Pacific Coast schools to, to, to be joining as well. You know, I would have thought they would have tried to get four. And maybe they did, and the Big Ten balked at it and said, nope, we're not ready to do that. But if you just want you and UCLA, we can talk, right? So it might have been the Big Ten that, that put the kibosh on more than two schools. Right. I know. Yeah. It seemed like from our initial conversation, you were kind of hoping that the big 10 would kind of go big and get ahead of the sec in terms of expanding from 16 to 20, uh, before them. Um, but it seems like they're kind of going with more of a, you know, wait and see approach 
but actively yeah. pursuing Notre Dame. Right. And and I, I get the, the, the eyes on Notre Dame. I totally understand why the Big Ten feels they need to do that, and I agree they need to do that. they got to pursue that. But I believe that it's short-sighted to look at like an Oregon and Washington and not recognize that those are two schools that we should offer because their, their academics uh, are, uh, are very good and include the AAU uh, membership and their um, athletic endeavors are every bit the strength of, you know, uh, if you, if you, if you subtract USC and UCLA out of the PAC 12, who are the next two? you know, athletic programs that you would want to target. And they're two of the three, the third one being Stanford. Right. So, you know, the idea of, 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 of offering Notre Dame, Stanford, you know, Washington and Oregon, you know, and, and frankly, I think that's still, if there's some background work still going on with the big 10, I think that's the group of four that they would be targeting. I really do. I think those are the four that end up getting invited and uh, uh, that gets us to 20. Yeah. And to me, that makes sense. I agree with you that those four make the most sense. Uh, though I did see something, I think it was like proposed legislation. It's not official, but it was something being proposed as a result of all this conference stuff. Uh, I think in uh, Oregon and Washington that um, all public universities would have to be part of the same conference. Or something like right. that. So then you would have to basically bring along like Oregon State and Washington State if you wanted Oregon and Washington. But uh, just an FYI, that's the reason why the Pac-10's money payout is low, low and putrid. Okay, that's that's a if you want to guarantee that Oregon and Washington are tied to a lower-paying, less competitive athletic endeavor. Okay, then pass that law, but it would not. It would be. It would not be good legislation, and you would be actually hurting those institutions rather than helping them. Um, Oregon State is is Oregon State. Washington State is Washington State. They they should stand on their own. Um, and tying them to Oregon and Washington, I think, would be a terrible thing. That's that's the way it was with Oklahoma, right? And that's the way it was like back with the Texas schools, right? Like Texas wanted to join, um, um, you know, the, the big 12, even back then. And they said, Hey, we can only do it because, uh, we had a, a governor that was like a Baylor grad and they were like, you know what, university of Texas, we're going to, we're going to cut your funding. Your state funding's going to be removed. If you, if you leave this, you know, conference without, without, uh, bringing, you know, the little sister along with you. So uh, there's a lot of pol- politics and gamesmanship that goes into that for sure. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, there was some serious angst when Oklahoma left for the sec and Oklahoma state got left behind. I remember that. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that was another one that was, you know, usually tied at the hip kind of thing. And that's why I think any of those Arizona, Arizona state would be another example of that. You know, it's just, yeah. I, I think that that's a, that's, that's a fool's errand to go down that path. 
Yep. So I know that the uh, the Big Ten's contract with Fox uh, is up for renegotiation here soon. It's expiring right. soon. So that's part of the reason why this all this realignment is kind of happening now. So there is a bit of a timetable right. on it uh, for the Big Ten. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, so it's definitely something we'll be tracking here. And if there's a big update where, you know, more schools get added to one conference or another, of course, we'll podcast about it at that time. Right. You know, it's just really fascinating. I, like I said, I I really thought that uh, there might be another Tumblr and another and a group of four would come. Uh, the fact that it hasn't come together uh, fairly quickly here, I think there's the, the risk for, on the part of the Big Ten that Oregon and Washington won't be available to them. Uh, and you're going to have the UCLA and USC on an island out there, even if later you did get Notre Dame and you wanted to bring those guys in, now it's harder for them to say yes because they have made some agreement with, say, the Big 12, and now they've, they've got an arrangement with the Big 12. So I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how all these rules play out, right? Right. What, what kind of, the, like the, the ACC locked themselves into trouble because they, they did this uh, guarantee of, of rights to 2036 for all of their schools, which means that if they choose to leave, they have uh, a, a legal document where they have already given their uh, uh, media rights to the ACC until 2036, whether they're still a member or not. So they'd have to walk away from media rights for effectively 14 years. Right. Yeah. I think I saw some sort of, uh, you know, once again, reported statement from somebody and the ACC that, oh, well, we'll, we'll let the lawyers figure that out if, if need be, you know, basically saying it right. wouldn't be a bar to them leaving if the opportunity was right. Uh, but that is a serious uh, consideration for sure. It is. That's well, uh, you know, depending on how strong that GOR guarantee of rights um, exists, um, you know, your representatives sign that document agreeing these terms, you know, then you have to negotiate out of that. That's a huge chunk of money. Right. So, you know, then then the ACC is going to get quite wealthy. Yeah. Uh, and the and, and the schools that stay get that money. Right. So I'm going to predict right now that if, you know, if we're talking in another month's time or whatever, and the only schools that have left the Pac-12 are still USC and UCLA, I think there's still a good possibility that the Pac-12 stays together, whether they stay at 10 teams or they get two kind of minor schools and bring them in, you know, and like they kind of hang on and get in this partnership with the ACC that we talked about earlier. Uh, But if the Pac or if the Big Twelve suddenly comes out and announces that these four schools that they've been talking to are suddenly joining the the Big Twelve, then all hell breaks loose and the Pac twelve completely falls apart. I can't see them surviving six schools leaving. I think that's a good prediction. I think I think you're right on with that. And uh, yep, I, I, and I I feel like there's a window here for Notre Dame and then these other schools from the Pac. Uh, to come into the Big Ten, um, and and it has to do with the timing of the new contract. Because if that gets signed, then I think we stay pat with sixteen for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, though, as I was thinking about that, 
because uh, there was there was when we came into the Big Ten, and then there was a gap of a couple years, and then Maryland and Rutgers, I think it was, right, came into the yep, yep. Big Ten a few years later. So it is possible to uh, make changes within that contract window. Oh, yeah. Well, and when you're adding value, right, like that's the key was you'd have to have something like a Notre Dame, a big splash. Then obviously, they're, they're, I mean, anytime Notre Dame wanted to come to the Big Ten and says, and they say yes, then they're they're in, right? Um, uh, the other the other entities, uh, not so much. Mm-hmm. It ha- it has to be more of a thoughtful. Okay, this is actually going to add value for us. Right, it takes more consideration and negotiations. Right, exactly. Yep. So, yep, uh, college football is exciting as always, and we'll see where the landscape plays out. We've got so much to pay attention to between our own Nebraska football team, between the NIL and Portal rumblings, what the future of the NCAA is going to be, the playoff. You know, those rumblings have kind of died down now that it seems like we're not expanding to 12, um, but that's still something to go on in the future. And now we have all this conference realignment stuff that could really – uh, shake things up. So <laughs> there's a lot going on. There, there really is. And, it, and it, the thing that we can be guaranteed of is that uh, the, uh, the landscape of the sport that we love college football is absolutely changed and will continue to change quite significantly over these next, uh, you know, four to six years. That's true. That's true. All right. Well, we'll be back for another podcast, like we said, to talk about further updates within the conference realignment side of things, as well as discussions about uh, recruits and transfers within the Nebraska world. And as we get into fall practice and previewing the upcoming season, uh, we'll start getting back into the groove of uh, doing more podcasts as we get ready for the trip to Ireland. Yes, exactly. Looking forward to that and um, looking forward to kind of getting excited. You know, media days are just around the corner. Um, and so we're going to have that to discuss as well uh, with uh, Big Ten Media Days. So looking forward to uh, uh, a great college football season and hopefully one where Nebraska makes some significant steps forward and uh, we're playing in a bowl game and, and there's optimism, you know, at the end of the season. That's what I would love to see. If not, we're going to be having the interest of, having lots of conversations about who our next coach is going to be. So <laughs> either way, we'll have lots to talk about. That's right. That's right. Uh, so if you all out there enjoyed this podcast, you can reach out to us at huskerpeat 13 at gmail.com. You can also find us on uh, Spotify or on iTunes, Apple podcasts. You can leave us a review there. We always love hearing from the fans. Um, so thank you all out there for listening. And thank you for joining me for this episode, dad. Until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Red.